Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Zach Brown with me, who is the CEO of McLaren Racing. Zach, hi, and welcome to CMO Moves. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm excited to have you because, as you know, CMO Moves is all about CMOs, but you're a CEO, so this is really fun because we get to hear your perspective on CMOs. I like it. Excellent. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. I remember chatting with you a few weeks back and I'm just so overwhelmed and amazed with all the things that you're doing at McLaren Racing. It's really impressive. So why don't we start with you giving us an overview of what you guys are up to? Yeah, it's crazy times here for for all of us, but here at McLaren Racing, we're a Formula One team, one of the more successful ones, 20 World Championships over the years. And of course, we, we have an IndyCar team, which we joined up on this year and have a long history in a variety of, of motorsports. And like all sports during this COVID period, we were delayed in getting uh, going, but we uh, have now got started in July, both in Formula One and IndyCar. And we're, we're off to a good start in these very early days of a late season start. But I think we're starting to uh, find our way and, and ultimately navigate this pandemic that we're all living through. Yes. And this is really, you know, top of mind for everyone is the pandemic that we're living through and how it has totally changed everyone's plan for what they're doing. And and in real time, every day it's changing, right? So what has the the last three months been like for you? And then let's talk about how you're approaching the next few months. Yeah, it's been been crazy as I think it has for, for pretty much everybody. You know, we were due to start our first Formula One race in Australia in, in March and uh, unfortunately, our team was the first to have uh, someone test positive for COVID. So I uh, withdrew us from uh, the race, which then ended up becoming the domino that canceled the entire race. And then, you know, the, the whole situation got worse and everything got delayed. And, and that first week, having never experienced anything like this, was felt like the, the car was driving me. It was just coming at you from all directions. And so we focused on our, our people, our Grand Prix team have about 
850 full-time employees. And so we just went into kind of lockdown, make sure everyone was safe. We had about 100 people in Australia. And then kind of once you felt you had health and safety addressed, kind of not under control because the whole thing is not under control, but addressed, then we immediately turned to the health and safety of business because we get uh, paid to go motor racing. About half of our revenue is from the racing league itself and about the other half from our, our sponsor partners. And so now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a business where you, you kind of turn the faucet off. So you have to deal with that situation. And we very much ran towards the, the problem. I think anytime something like this happens, I believe as a CEO, you got to run towards it, that if you kind of run from it, you'll never be able to outrun it and you can't live in denial. So we started talking to all of our partners about how we were going to handle the situation, protect their investment in us and in the sport. And uh, over about a 90-day journey, ended up furloughing three quarters of, of the staff. Everyone took pay cuts, all the stuff that I think you've seen you know, the majority of companies doing. And I think because we were early in, in into that, we have the be paying the dividends now, if you'd like, that we're kind of the first to come out of it by addressing it early. And now we're back to racing and working towards living in this COVID world and hope that it comes to an end sooner than later, but being realistic that I think it's here to stay for, I don't know, another year. I think there's going to be some lingering effect into 21 and then hopefully we'll get a, a vaccine and get back to normal. Yeah. Well, gosh, I hope so too. So as you were going through all these pivotal shifts and running towards it, as you said, now you're in the midst of, you know, starting the, the, the season. And what is that looking like right now? How is it different? Well, we, we don't have many fans. We don't have any partners at the racetrack. So that's weird. Usually you're used to 200,000 people, you know, cheering for your drivers and the teams and partners everywhere. And you're doing appearances and media work. And now it's like a ghost town at the racetrack. I think one of the things that's nice about motor racing is once the race starts, you tune everything out. I think where other sports fans are part of the broadcast in racing, you know, the eyes are on the race car and the fans are in a distance. So when I've now watched some of the replays, I think the broadcasts of the race, you, you almost don't notice where in soccer or football, we're used to seeing 100,000 people almost on the, on the pitch, as they say here in, in England. So that's been different. But what we've done is we've gone totally digital. And I think that's been exciting. You know, our sport is filled with technology and really plays to bringing the, the fans, partners and employees on the inside via technology. So now we're taking people through kind of the hospitality experience digitally. And I think that's going to be something that's definitely here to stay post-COVID. I think we're learning a lot. And I think there's some great learnings on how you run a business, how you run a racing team, how you engage with fans that we've been forced to do because of COVID. But actually, we're sitting there going, that's working pretty well. And I think digital and technology has been a, a lifesaver in this, this time because we've all gone from flying on planes to living on, on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever your video conference choices. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's so interesting how many things you're doing with technology. You know, you've been saying motor racing, and I love the way you say that. It sounds so European, motor racing. But really behind the scenes, like you were talking about, there's a lot of tech here. And you guys have done a lot to really use new technology, not just in your experiences, but all the way through to like teaching kids on YouTube about the science of racing, using scientists to teach them about probability. And I watched one of those. It was so entertaining. I loved it. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, of course, I love motor racing. So I'm a little biased, but I love other sports as well. But I think our sport in particular, you know, it's a technology sport. And I think when people watch Formula One, there are so many different things that people find intriguing. There's some people that just love the actual racing on the track. There are people that are fascinated by the technology that goes into these race cars. There's people that are fascinated by the drivers. And there's a very big political element to the sport, and which I think Netflix captured really well. So you've got all these different pockets of intrigue. And on the technology side, you know, we, we've been doing things like connected cars for 20 years, right? So that's kind of a new thing here. We've been talking to our race car and our race car talking to our pit wall for 20 plus years. So a lot of the technologies in the world from communications, from sensors, from safety, from emissions are developed in Formula One. And we're able to, through technology, share some of that. And I love what we did. We did it with Dell technologies, the substitute teacher, they brought some of their engineers and technologists, as did we, and and be able to go into schools and really kind of like on a STEM, share math and science. And it's great to see that, you know, people can learn from motor racing and there's an educational element to it in in schools. And yeah, it's it's fascinating, you know, some of our, our data you know, we have over 250 sensors on the race car. We change 80% of our race car from the start of the year to the end of the year. The pace of development, the car that qualified first at the first race of the year, if you didn't touch it by the end of the year, it would qualify last. And that's how much development there is. We do a new part for our race car every 14 minutes. 365 days a year. So it's a very, very fast paced technology driven sport. And so the more we can share that with men and women, boys and girls from around the world in all different environments is is a lot of fun. And it's great to get our team involved in that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I watched just even that one thing and you do so many things to share out the knowledge that you've you've built within McLaren. And I was, I was, I learned about probability. I had forgotten the class around probability. (laughs) So I was was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Great. Well, I really appreciate you always thinking ahead. And I know that was a big topic of our conversation earlier about how you'd like to stay ahead of of the game. Let's talk about that a little bit. In particular, you know, as we think about the time period we just went through that you're going into, how you lead your teams through these times and and keep them ahead of the game. Yeah, I think communications is critical. I feel more connected to my leadership team than ever before. And even though our conversations are remote, you know, we're talking to each other 
a hundred times a day, the communication with the entire racing team. So I think communication, number one, trust and, and honesty, you know, everyone is nervous, scared of, of what's going on, both, you know, for their jobs, the company, their health, their families. So I think you need to be very transparent. I think you need to be very real. You know, we're going through tough times and I don't think you're doing anyone any favors by sugarcoating something that maybe shouldn't be sugarcoated. So, and then using technology for those communications. I feel more connected to my entire racing team and my, and my leadership team than, than ever before. I think you got to make decisions. You know, now is not a time to, you know, waffle and well, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, you know, make a decision. If you've made the wrong one, you can always correct it. You can try and correct it. Hope you, it wasn't such a big mistake that you regret it. But, you, you know, indecision, I think, is a dangerous place to be because your racing team or your business, whatever business you're, they're looking for your leadership to kind of, we're going this way. And you got to kind of run on instinct and trust. Also, a lot of, you know, consulting, you know, I recognize as the CEO, I need to make the final decision generally more often than not, I don't have to make a decision that is counter to what everyone else's decision is, but you know, I need to make decisions and, you know, furloughing, which I've never, I don't think I'd ever heard of it prior to having to do it, you know, sending 700 employees home for a couple months and, you know, drastically reducing pay. I mean that, you know, and that was a decision that, you can't think about for a long time. And so to, to make that decision where you know you're impacting 700 people, families, you know, that was painful. But I knew doing what was right for the business was ultimately going to be right for our, our team because I needed to make sure they had a, a team to come back to. So I've never experienced anything like it, but I think we're all going to be stronger for it coming out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and thanks for sharing that. I, I know so many people in the industry who had to go through that for the first time themselves as well. And, uh, and uh, painful across the board. And most of the folks that I speak to are CMOs, obviously. And you just brought on your first CMO. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So, so Mark Waller, who has a great history in consumer goods. I first met Mark about 15 years ago when he was the CMO of uh, Diageo in North America, back when I had my motorsport agency, I used to represent corporate sponsors in the sports. That's before that I was a racing driver, but my background is kind of racing and the commercial side of the sport. And Mark was my client at Diageo when we got uh, Smirnoff Ice and Crown Royal into NASCAR. And then that led to Johnny Walker in Formula One with McLaren. And so I've always uh, kept in touch. He then went uh, to the NFL for a decade or so. He had a variety of roles there, including being the CMO. And so, you know, as a racing team, I wanted someone who really understood brand and and luxury brands and someone who understands sport. And if I look, you know, Diageo is a fantastic uh, company with great global premium brands. And then NFL, there's not a better run sport in the world. So I thought his combination of brand and, and sport would be really valuable to 
McLaren and our partners because I'm very commercially minded in looking after our, our partners because it is what makes our racing team work. And so we've got a department of about 80 people. And so I, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm trying to build the best technical team, but I also want to build the best marketing team because the two go hand in hand. And so really pleased that Mark took, took the role and he's now been with us a little over a year. Wow. Okay. Well, congrats on making that fantastic hire. And I know everybody listening is curious about this. So you hired a CMO. You didn't have one before. And you you just shared what your objective was. What's it like working with a CMO now that there wasn't one there a year before? How do you guys uh, divide the tackle? <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I like marketing quite a bit. I love brands. I don't think I'm necessarily an expert in the space. That's why I brought in Mark. But, you know, I care a lot about the McLaren brand, our our image, where we're going, and all the brands that we're associated with. So I'm less technical. So I'd kind of rather be in a meeting with a, a, a partner talking about how they exploit and activate McLaren than necessarily maybe sitting in with my technical team talking about a new front wing. I'm not an engineer by trade. I don't think I'm smart enough to be one. My math was never that good and nor my science. So, you know, I I enjoy it. You need to be, sorry for the pun, firing on all cylinders to really have a, a world championship team. And that's an area I like to play in. And I think I can contribute because that was the business I was in before I got the fortunate opportunity to run McLaren. Yeah. Well, and did I hear you correctly earlier? You were a driver? About 70 pounds ago. <laughs> and uh, t- 25 years ago, uh, I raced professionally from 1991 to 2000. And I was living in England. And how my business got started was I was doing all my own sponsorship. And I was having a lot of success, probably more success off the track than on the track. And everyone used to say to me, Zach, you should stop driving. You should just do all this sponsor stuff. You're really good at it. And so while I was driving, I kind of started a business out of my my house and went to corporations and said, look, I know how this racing stuff works, who the good guys and bad guys are and what you should or shouldn't pay. Because it's a bit wild, wild west, the whole motor racing environment and got the trust of you know corporations to say, look, here's what we're trying to do with our our brand or our business, what do you think we should do? And I would, on behalf of whether it was UBS or Johnny Walker, Subway restaurants, you know, et cetera, go say, right, here's what you're trying to do. You should be in NASCAR, you should be in Formula One, or you should be in IndyCar, you should be with this team because they fit your brand, or you should do this with a track because you want to talk to people that go to track, whatever their goals and objectives were. And I built that up, did that for 20 years, Ended up becoming the the largest motorsports agency, sold it to the majority of it to private equity in 2008. Then a name everyone here will know, I sold the minority share to Martin Sorrell from WPP. And then we sold the entire group to Chime Communications, which was a London PLC. They own CSM in 2013. Then they put me in to be chief executive of, of the group. So I got exposed to other sports. I did that for a few years before I got the opportunity to join McLaren 
which for me has been my dream job. The, the dream job would have been racing for McLaren. So this is the second on the list is running McLaren. <laughs> and McLaren, I mean, I'm a car girl. So yeah, definitely love everything about it. So wow. Okay, fascinating. There are like a thousand questions I still want to ask you because your experience and your journey is so fascinating. But when you think about now where you are and you think about the future, you have the short term that we're still all trying to figure out what it looks like. But what's like, let's go farther out. Like, what are you excited about? Well, I'm excited about our fan base, which is hundreds of millions of people. And because I think the sport for the longest time didn't focus on the fan, the fan, the the sport kind of grew up and have the hundreds of millions of fans that watch Formula One, but the previous ownership never really tried to engage with the fan. And now I think with the new ownership of of Liberty Media and, you know, we weren't, Formula One wasn't on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram three, four years ago, just to show you how behind it was in, in a very simple manner. Now, you know, Social media is going great. Netflix covers the sport and these episodes. And so the sport for the first time is focusing on the fan. And I just think we have hundreds of millions of fans and I don't think we've treated them as well as we could these last decades. And now I think with new ways to engage fans, so now you can kind of really engage with them. That's not just an awareness play. I think the sport is so rich in opportunity to engage with fans. And I think that's the journey that we're now going to be on is how can we put, you know, we're not far away from someone be able to on esports race in a race. I mean, how cool is that to be able to, you know, turn on the Monaco Grand Prix and I can race against McLaren real time. That technology is around the corner. So I think we're going to be able to put the steering wheel in the hands of the younger generation now that simulation and esports has gone from being what used to be a video game to almost a real thing. So I think we're going to have this real grassroots, you know, geographically diverse, gender diverse race diverse and that's what I'm excited about because then if we can grow our fan base then the rest of the economics of the sport will get more sponsors in more countries will want to host grand prix and the whole ecosystem will just become healthier yeah I love that vision you know it's it's you said so many important things in there I want to touch on two of them really quickly so one you talked about having a more diverse base of fans, but not just fans, but drivers, right? Because it's an expensive sport to get into. So I'm really excited about the digital proposition coming ahead to provide more opportunity. But also what's interesting is I just had a futurist uh, not too long ago on the show. And pre-COVID, we were at the CMO Move Summit. She gave a, a talk around augmented humans and how the future is all about the tactile internet and everything that's coming down the pipe. And this was five, six, seven years ahead. And then I had her on post-COVID a few weeks in, and she's like, all those projections just accelerated. And I think this goes back to what you were talking about before, which is everybody's forced to do everything digitally now. So I love how you, you laid out those opportunities and what an exciting time. Difficult and challenging, but where breakthrough comes through. So I'm excited to see where you guys do next. 
Yeah, I, you know, in a very strange way, I'm enjoying what we're going through. Of course, I'm not enjoying it on all the devastation that it's doing to the world. Mm -hmm. But just as a CEO that likes a, a challenge, I don't necessarily want to repeat this challenge, but, you know, they use a, a term in racing, you know, a, a difficult corner separates the men from the boys. And I think in an environment like this, you know, it's easy to be a CEO when it's easy. It's hard to be a CEO when it's hard, but the good CEOs, I think, thrive in that environment. So it's very difficult, but, you know, I, I, I enjoy challenges, again, not when it comes with the kind of personal devastation that this one has, but I think you kind of, in tackling the situation, you have to kind of put that out of mind and just realize, I've been dealt a certain hand, how are you going to maximize in the best interest of your people, your racing team and your partners, the situation you're in. And, you know, I like to get up every day and I've always been a workaholic and, you know, I've never been busier. I usually travel 260 days a year. Now outside of going to the Grand Prix, coming back, for, I'll probably do 80 days this year, but I feel busier than ever. Yeah, I hear you. And that's a lot of travel still during this time. So take care of yourself for sure. And well, if you're in Europe, too, you could just like buzz around in, in your McLaren car and get to where you need to yeah. go, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the testing that Formula One is doing has been awesome. I get tested, as do anyone on the racing team, every three days. And not just the heat gun, which I think is limited in its accuracy. We're getting swabbed everywhere every three days. There's been three incidents since this has started with it, over 10,000 tests, face masks everywhere. So we're taking it very seriously. The nice thing about Formula One is it's kind of clinical by nature. It's a very clean, sterile environment. And so hats off to Formula One and the FIA, who are the governing body for how they've addressed it, because we are traveling and everyone's remaining healthy, knock on wood. Yeah, I hope that continues for you. And Me too. I have just two more questions for you before we wrap this up. I have to ask, because of all this good advice, what's the best career tip you received in your career? That's a good question. I would say having smarter people around you. You know, I have an advisory board of about 15 people that are some of the CMOs you'll know very well, the Keith Weeds of the world and CEOs. And I've always been, want people around me that are going to challenge me, that are smarter than me, that have more experience than me, and trying to get that insight. And I, I, I think I did that at a, at a young age. And I think that's helped, you know, mature me faster and bring in lots of experience. So I, I would say surrounding yourself with smarter people, diverse skill sets, knowledge, you know, some of the times when I see fellow CEOs, and I, I think it's a real blind spot when they surround themselves with with yes people, because then I think you're not getting 10 good opinions. You're getting 10 people that agree with your one opinion. And, and so I think that's something. And then, you know, never quit. And, and I'm more 
pessimistic than optimistic in that I kind of wake up every day feeling like if I'm not going forward, I'm going backwards. And that, that drives me every day to make sure I feel like I'm moving forward. Because if, if you're standing still, you're actually going backwards because your competition's going forwards. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you for that. And now my last and final question, but unfortunately you already answered it. I don't think you know you did earlier on. So I'm going to take that answer away from you. So the question is, if you were not doing what you're doing now and money and talent were no object, what would you do? And you said earlier, you wish you could be the driver for McLaren. So let's take that away. You can't, can't touch McLaren. What would it be? Ooh, that's a good question. This will be a funny one. President of the United States. <laughs> yes. Okay. You did make me laugh. That's a good one. I love that. <laughs> I've always enjoyed politics and I like the, the love the history uh, around the world. And so, you know, you get the question of, you know, if you, if, if you were at a dinner table, you know, who are the three or four guests, you, you know, you'd want at the dinner table and George Washington would definitely be one of them. So I'm not sure I'd actually like the job given all that I see that goes into the job, but it would certainly be fascinating. That is awesome. And uh, please put your name in the ring now. <laughs> we need some good candidates. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it sure is uh, disappointing, regardless of what side you're on, that this great country where I'm from, don't live anymore, can't produce something more exciting than the few options we have right now. I think we need a maybe a younger generation, whether it's a JFK or a Clinton era, someone who maybe is a little bit more in touch with the next generation. Well said. Well said. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure to hear your story and all the cool things that you're working on. Thank you very much. I very much enjoyed it. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll be talking again very soon. So take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.